0: Hello and welcome to episode 103 of Inside the WDF with me, Andrew Sinclair. On this week's show, you'll hear me review the action from the Swedish Open and Swedish Masters this past weekend, have a thoroughly enjoyable chat with Darren Johnson, comment on the lack of information that's come out regarding the World Masters and World Championships and look ahead to this coming weekend's event in Australia. So, this past weekend, the tour headed to Sweden for the second time this year. Is that The Nordic Cup Open was there earlier in the year, but the first time they'd gone to Sweden properly since the 2019 Swedish Open. There were two silver events, the Swedish Open and then the Masters. The titles in the Swedish Open were won by Kai-Fan Lueng and Raymond Stanley, with Denny Older kalter and Eileen de Graaf picking up top honours in the Masters tournament. It was good to see the Swedish Federation use Dark Connect for the weekend. Although I I found it quite interesting that they only used it for results in the earlier stages. So I've seen that done, you know, in places like the USA and Canada for events before, but I've never really seen them do that with a European event before. In the past, they've had tablets for all the boards, and every board has had the live scoring during the tournament. Just adding results isn't quite as good as having live scoring everywhere, but. It's still a good system, and I would rather some dark connect over none. All in all, the standard in Sweden seemed to be pretty decent for, for the most part. I know the men's final on the Saturday, the Swedish Open, was probably, probably both guys weren't too happy with their performances in that one, but otherwise, really good standard across the weekend. Uh, and they were streaming too, so in my eyes, that puts the Swedish Federation ahead of a number of others. So good on that front. In terms of the, the winners, it was nice to see Kai-Fan pick up a title. He made that commitment to living in the UK while he was a PDC tour card holder. We then had the pandemic and I know he had a pretty rough bout with COVID last year and then dropped off the PDC circuit at the end of 2021. He stayed in the UK since then and tried to do some of the WDF circuit this year. It's not had tremendous returns. He only had nine points to his name before this weekend in Sweden. But of course, he's a very capable player. And I always had the feeling that, you know, if he went to enough of these events, eventually it'd all click. And that was exactly what happened in Sweden. He beat Jeffrey Beckhammer, uh, Johan Engström. He beat him in a last leg decider, taking out uh, an 11 data in that seventh and deciding leg. But Yella Clarsen in the quarterfinals, Chris Lammon in the semis and Alexander Merks in the final. As I said, it wasn't a top, top quality final. You know, they both averaged in the low 70s. I think they were both struggling for consistency at the end of a a long day. Uh, But, you know, he beat what was in front of him and that's all you can ever be asked to do. Uh, Luang didn't get anything on the, the Sunday, but it was obviously a good title nonetheless uh, and it puts him in a good position for, for the end of the year. He's not in a world's place at the moment, but, you know, another run like that or a couple of deep runs and suddenly you're in that conversation. My feeling is from, you know, what other people have posted and kind of calculations I've done and conversations I've had with people, I think that 185 points is probably going to be the cutoff for a world championship place. Might be a bit higher than that, but I would have thought if you've got 200 or more, you're certainly going to be safe he's currently on 99 so as I say a fair bit of work to do but not unthinkable that he gets those points certainly with a number of decent events left on the calendar that he's likely to go to and look you know I won't have to, to worry about there not being Asian regional representation if him and Paul Lim come through the main table so yeah definitely good to see him have a good run in the other men's tournament it was nice to see uh, de Dekalta when he's a very capable player was doing very well on the, the BDO circuit just before uh, the 0-2, where he played and I think got to the last 16. Uh, then has, has been doing the PDC stuff, not really on the WDF tour, but he's played some of the events this year, was at the Dutch Open, was at the weekend in Antwerp, and then here played very well on the Sunday to, to beat Moreno Blom, Dave Pallet, Mike Gillett, and then Anthony Allen in the final. Denny's a very good player. And it looks at the moment as though we're going to have a, a stronger Dutch presence in the men's field at the WDF World Championship than we did this year. So in 2022, we had Richard Weinstra, Jules van Dongen, who, who was admittedly representing the USA, but was Dutch-born, and Ryan de Vreed, who came through the qualifier. But 2023, we're looking at having Alexander Merckx, Moreno Blom, Jelle Clarsen... Richard Veinstra and Chris Landman at the moment, they're all in, in provisional places. And then you've got the likes of Older Kalter, Wesley Plasier, Johan van Velsen, Ivo Leijksma. They're not far away, so could definitely be a stronger Dutch flavour to the tournament. And considering that the NDB are, you know, an important association within the, the WDF system and the Netherlands has always had a, a strong history in that WDF system, certainly over the last 20, 25 years, you know, they're going to be incredibly important moving forward. So the more of them in the tournament, of course, the better you would have thought. Uh, In terms of other people I wanted to give a mention to, I said last week that I thought Anthony Allen was due a good run and uh, he proved that to be the case. You know, he's been bubbling away for a little while now, a number of sort of quarterfinal runs and so on. And he got to the final in in Sweden, played some really good darts and then just dipped from a bit in the final. That's the second career WDF final for him. He got to one in Hungary last year and actually in that final in Hungary was in a very commanding position against Alexei Kodoshnikov before it fell away from him. But I really don't think that first title is far away for, for Shaggy now. I know it would be disappointing to, to lose in that final, but that first title isn't far away, and I've said it before, he's a very capable player, and I don't think at Lake Odisha he got to show what he's truly capable of, but I think if he got back there, which he's now well on course to do, he'll certainly give a better account of himself and show people why he's in that field. Chris Lammon was someone I put in that same boat as Anthony Allen because he's he's been playing well and he had a, a very strong weekend in Sweden, getting to a semi-final in the last 16. Yellow class and his top seed. Uh, didn't tip him this time, but he had a very good weekend with a quarter-final and a semi-final. I uh, want to give a mention as well to a friend of the show, John Scott, who picked up a quarter-final run on Sunday. And uh, although he lost 4-0 to Anthony Allen, he, he did have chances in that game. Slightly different story for, for Sean MacDonald, though, who last week I said I thought might pick up a title on the Sunday or, or have a deep run. In the end, he didn't manage to, to get any points. It's a difficult weekend for him. He's very frustrated, as I'm sure some of you will have seen from a tweet he posted. But, you know, he's now looking to get back to his best ahead of the British Open weekend in mid-September. One thing worth watching for the Swedish Open weekend was the the regional points because there were only four North Europe events left in 2022 going into Sweden and the two events in Sweden were two silvers with the other two events in Latvia being two bronze. So the points this weekend were going to be vitally important for those regional tables and now we've got four Swedes in the running for for the men's places realistically. Dennis Nilsson is top. After a very decent weekend, Ricky Naumann is back in second with Andreas Harrison third and Henrik Sherberg in fourth. It's likely going to be Nilsson and Nauman, but if one of them doesn't travel to Latvia and, and somebody else has a really good weekend, you never know. It could change, but certainly looks like it'll be Swedish representation, that's for sure. Over in the women's tournaments, both winners, Lorraine Stanley and Aileen de Graaf, were players that I said weren't far away from titles and were, you know, likely picks to win. And both of them came up trumps. Lorraine played really well in that Swedish Open final against Aleta vija Took out 121, 78 and 83 in a 5-3 final win and averaged 84.7. So a very impressive performance for Lorraine. It's her fifth title win in Sweden, but I think the more important stat for her is that it's her first title since the pandemic. You know, It's crazy to think that one of the most successful and tenured players on the ladies' circuit over the last decade hadn't won a title in two and a half years. But here we are, she's finally got the rub of the green and got that title under her belt. And I think she plays the way she has recently. She'll probably get at least another one before the end of the year. And I thought it was brilliant as well that you know, soon after Lorraine had won and during the weekend she was praising the young players in the Target programme who'd been doing well at the development tour. You know, she takes her role and responsibility within Target so seriously and it's nice to see her have some personal success but, you know, straight away keen to pay it forward as it as it were and celebrate that next generation as well. Certainly to be commended. Uh, a word on Aletta Vaizha as well. She's now made two finals in the space of three weeks. I feel like she's really coming on now as a player and I think she's going to be someone we see more of uh, f- throughout the rest of this year the Masters was won by Aileen de Graaf uh, she beat Rackna David in the semi-finals and then Paula Jacqueline in the final uh, it was a, f- a first title in almost a year for Eileen, but really I would say it's the most significant one for her since the-, the Dutch Open in February 2020 she had a good run of course at the Women's World Match Play and I feel like the way she's playing at the moment similar to Lorraine she's going to be someone who has a strong end to 2022 On the women's regional table, Anna Forsmark is now 42 points clear of Norway's Rackna David. Uh, Rackna's now 13 points closer to Anna than she was before the weekend started, but 42 points is still a reasonable margin, and and that necessitates a big swing at those Latvian events if she goes. She'd need a title win or a final and a semi-final to overtake Anna, and that would be on the basis that Anna got no points. If Anna were to get anything... Rackner would obviously then have to do an awful lot more. So Anna is very much in the driving seat. And, uh, you know, if if you want to kind of hear more about her story and who she is, she was on last week's show. But, you know, Rackner's certainly in that hunt. One other player, though, in action during the, the Swedish Open weekend worth mentioning was Darren Johnson. He got to one last 16 and one last 32, as well as the quarterfinals of the men's pairs alongside Martin Turner. Darren and I caught up last week to discuss his career in the sport. Travelling with Dennis Priestley, his time in the PDC, suffering a bad injury as he began to find a groove, getting onto to the, the Seniors and WDF tours over the last year and believing that a first WDF ranking title isn't far away. I'm now delighted to be joined by Darren Johnson. Darren, how are you? I'm
1: oh, good, Andrew.
0: Are we all right? Yeah, good. Good to have you on the, the show. It's been a successful year for you on the WDF and, and Seniors tours, but... Before we get into all of that, I want to go back to the beginning for you. How did you first get into darts?
1: Oh, it's uh, so, uh, so a long time ago. Uh, I'd have been probably about 13 or 14. Uh, and I got a, I had a paper dartboard board in my bedroom and some brass darts. I just used to fling them match it every now and again and watch sort of indoor league on the TV and watch... Eric Bristol and John Lowe on that, and and then I got a little bit hooked on it and bought myself a proper dartboard, a set of Eric Bristol tungsten darts, which I wish I still had because they're worth a few quid now. <laughs> and I just used to do like twenty minutes, half an hour, even every now and again when I when I was bored. When I got to about age eighteen or nineteen, I was down in the local pub one night and the the local dart team they were short. And I said, oh, I can play darts. And they said, well, come on then. And so I, I got up there, joined the dart team, won my first game, and then within no time I was sort of playing three nights a week. Maybe a year, a couple of years later, I got asked to play Super League. I think in my first year in Super League, I think it's top of the Yorkshire County averages, got called up to play for Yorkshire and
0: Everything just sort of on there. Was darts a family sport for you, or was it just something that you were into? No, it was no good. No family played
1: darts at all. I just, had a, I just had a paper dart board. And just when I was born, I just, there was there's no family
0: history of darts at all. The first recorded PDC tournaments for you were 2004, but obviously prior to that, it was just you doing Super League and, and County stuff.
1: Yeah, but, but I was very close friends from um, from the from the Pub League and Super League with Dennis Priestley at the time. Uh, this was well before he was uh, BDO World Champion. And I, I got to know Dennis and we used to start practicing. I live about 30 yards from him. So we used to practice in the local pub. And then he said to me, you need to do this PDC a try. So it I did. And... You know, just just went from there. Just going around with any entering tournaments, and sometimes doing all right, sometimes doing rubbish. But it, it something to do. I, I've got no other hobbies, so <laughs> it was just something to do, I suppose.
0: Hmm. And did you play any any other sports when you were a teenager, or was it just darts every now and again?
1: No, I, was, I definitely would definitely do any sports. It was just I did, I did boxing at a very young age, but that, you know, at juniors, but. They were just mainly darts. I, just, I sort of got hooked on darts for about 15 or 16, and,
0: and that was it. Travelling with Dennis Priestley must have been pretty fun. Are there any standout stories from travelling together that you can share? I've
1: got loads of standout stories, but I'm not going to share any of them while Dennis is still alive, unfortunately. I hope that's a long time.
0: <laughs> a long time away <laughs> and he was someone who of course had mixed at you know the very top end of the sport was a world champion you know had been at that elite level and he was someone that was always you know a grinder someone who was very tough to beat were there any kind of tips and tricks that he passed on to you to help with your game? Not really He wasn't like
1: that Dennis but just being around him, you just you pick things up and um, Basically, how to prepare yourself, how to conduct yourself, and be respectful to players, officials. Put the work in, be dedicated, and that's about it. Really, it, it were never a, a, a stylistic man. say so you know, you you know, your your stance is wrong because you know, and. You know, you're holding your arm in the wrong place, because every single gap was different. What I learnt from Dennis was, you know, how to conduct myself and how to deal with a defeat. Hmm. Just dust yourself down and and come back stronger next time.
0: When you were on the, the PDC circuit, you know, 2004, 2010, you know, playing regularly, playing in tournaments, then... 2011, they introduced the, the tour card system. What was the reaction from the players when that tour card system came in?
1: I can't remember, but I, I don't think at the time it, it wasn't a good reaction because the, uh, when, when it first came in, they were struggling to get 128 players. So it, it wasn't a good reaction, but the long term, I think people can see its merits now.
0: Yeah, of course. And I imagine those, you know, that first Q school to get a card was very different to the ones you've been to in, in more recent times.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to say the first ones were easy, but they were a lot easier than, than they are now because right now it's absolutely brutal.
0: And would you say that the, the kind of two phase set up now has, has made it more brutal than it was?
1: Well, it has. The, the two phase, if you're in phase one, by the time you get to phase two, by the end of the week, they're absolutely out on your feet. And it's, a, it's a massive advantage for those that are dropping out of the top 60, 64. The ones that drop down, they have to pay, they're only playing four days. The other guys are playing eight days, eight days in a row. I mean, I know it's only that, but believe me, it's tough.
0: I can imagine, yeah. 2011, you won a card and then you were on there 2013 to 2018. At what point in, in your darting career did the, the nickname Dynamite DJ come along?
1: I don't know, it just came in. I used to knock about with uh, Mike Lawrence, who was Nitro, Mike Nitro Lawrence. So, and I've not even got a nickname, so we just picked one and it was it was Dynamite Darren and that was it. I just went with it. <laughs> I don't, I don't have it now. I've just
0: dropped it all together. It's a bit, it's a bit tacky, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, when, when as and when you get introduced at, you know, Wf World Championship or whatever, you're just going to come out as Darren Johnson, then. No, I've,
1: everybody knows me as DJ. I've got DJ on the back of my shirt, and um, I thought,
0: well, if if AJ is good enough for Anthony and Joshua, DJ is good enough for Darren Johnson. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Now, when you were on the the PDC circuit you were fairly consistent on the tour cashed on a a regular basis and had some decent wins and decent runs i know when i spoke to your traveling partner now martin turner he said that you know when he was in the pdc work meant that traveling to all of the events was quite hard for him you know when you were on the tour was work the priority for you as well
1: yeah i was was working I've got a, a young family I've got a pretty high pressure job I was the UK engineering manager for a Swedish multinational so looking after five manufacturing sites in the UK with a lot of pressure yeah I just used to have to you, you have to juggle it and, it and it is hard
0: and were you able to play you know leagues during the week or, or practice a lot or were you kind of having to just go to the tournaments and see what transpired at them Oh, I,
1: I, I used to play. I used to play on the night, and then what I used to do, I, I used to try and use the darts as a release from the corporate pressure. So I used to be sitting in front of finance directors, CEOs, having to justify this, having to justify that. I was running ten million pound projects, and you know, there was a, a lot of stress, a lot of hassle. So getting away to the dance, you know. It, that was my
0: release. And what's the, the situation with you with working now? Are you still in that field doing something similar or are you, are you part-time now? No,
1: I'm, I'm, I, I retired in um, 2016, I think, 20, yeah, about 2016. Oh, no, no, 2014 I retired and started my own business. You know,
0: I've been, been doing that ever since. What does your business specialise in?
1: I started a property company, I've done really well and I've more or less fully retired now so I basically just sit back and take the rent in from the properties that we've accumulated. So I'm I'm in a decent financial position where I don't have to go out and work 40 hours a week so I'm all right in that regard.
0: And has kind of moved into that state of sort of retirement essentially, does that mean that now when you're going to darts you're maybe a little bit more relaxed and more comfortable?
1: I am relaxed, yeah. I'm pretty chilled out, relaxed. Uh, it is expensive though, you know. <laughs> I don't want to be losing money, you
0: know what I mean? Mm. So kind of going back to your PDC career, 2015 you joined the, the PDC 9 Dart Club when you hit one against Steve Beaton in a Players' Championship, uh, you know what are your memories of, of hitting that nine darter?
1: All I can remember from that is I hit the nine darter and never won another leg I lost the game.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Did you hit a nine darter you know, in practice or a local competition or anything no, before that then? Was, that was the first
1: one I'd ever hit. I'd, I'd missed. I was in a PDC comp and there used to be a, a rollover prize for it, I missed double twelve 12 for, I think, uh, if I'd have hit double 12, I would I'd have won £9,000 in it. I, I wired the double twelve 12 that day, and the, the prize on the day was £9,000, and I think Colin Laredith did the following day and took all the cash. But that was my first ever nine-dart in, in practice or in a game, but I've hit absolute modes since. Once mm. well, she, you well, she hit that first one, the pressure's off and they just come
0: white busses. 2017 was a, a good year for you in the PDC. Early on in the year you got to your first PDC final again at a Players' Championship beats you know Dave Chisnell, Barney, MVG. Talk to me about that run in Barnsley. I
1: was playing really well at that time. I was relaxed, absolutely full of confidence. Um, I can remember getting to the final, beating MVG and I can remember coming off and getting sent straight back on to play Whitlock in the final. Um, I think if I'd have had had 20 minutes to calm myself down and get prepared and gone back on it, I'm convinced I would have won that that day, but I sort of came off and then, bang, right, you're back on now, you're straight on. So uh, a glass of water, nine-dance practice, and then on again.
0: And so, a disappointing final to lose, but you know, you said you were confident going in, so that must have just taken the confidence to a whole new level, moving into the the Euro Tours and the rest of the Players Championships that year.
1: It did, but uh, uh, towards the back end of that year, I tore a rotator cuff on my right arm, and that was unbelievable. I struggled for two years after that. I had to change my throw. I was playing in pain. I, I didn't play pain-free till at least two years after that, it just took ages and ages to heal. Uh, a rotator cuff injury for a dart player in the throwing arm is probably the worst injury that uh, anybody could have. I would not wish that on my worst enemy.
0: How do you think you picked the injury up? Was that just through playing darts?
1: No, the, the business we started, uh, me and my brother, we started a property business and we were buying old houses and knocking them about and swinging sledgehammers and doing this and doing that. I just think, I did it on one of the house reflux we were doing at the time. It just took ages and ages to heal. It was unbelievable.
0: Mm. And in terms of the healing process then, did you have to have surgery on it or did you just try and let the the muscles and stuff recover naturally?
1: No, it, it was just, it was just, I'd give it three months and think I'm all right again, and then I go to a dance competition and I just feel it again. Mm. It just just went on for ages, and it it took two years to it. Apparently, it's a really bad injury for any for anybody to have. Mm. But when you're playing dance, and constantly lifting your arm up
0: and I imagine, obviously, incredibly frustrating as an injury and you're playing in pain. But you know, having picked up that final, you got to a Euro Tour quarterfinal as well you must have been feeling that you were going to kick on and really push on and then kind of all got taken away from you. Yeah, so. You might like that, mate. <laughs> I remember listening to an interview you did a few years ago and you were saying that, you know, prior to, I think it was Q School 2017, that if you hadn't come through that Q School and got a card, you might have packed up darts altogether. When you were dealing with the injury, did you think about packing it in again?
1: I think every player when they're going through a bad patch contemplates packing it in, but you know you, you, your, com- your competitive spirit kicks back in again, and it's just part and parcel part of the, part, and part of the life being being on a downer, and or if I don't do something this weekend, I'm jacking in, and you know what it's like. I don't think I'm ever serious about jacking, out you just say you're going to jack in.
0: Since coming off the the PDC tour, obviously you've been at a regular on the, the Challenge Tours. For some of that time, you were you know dealing with the shoulder injury and so on. But what have you made of those Challenge Tour weekends? Because they are pretty draining.
1: I don't like them at all. I don't. I, I don't like two two competitions in a day. I think it's totally unfair on the players. I think they should double the double the entrance fee and double the prize money and have one tournament. Two competitions in a day does not do it for me at all. And I won't be playing any more challenge tours this year for that
0: reason. You're saying you're not gonna do them this year, but would you do them in future years or?
1: I'm totally undecided. It depends how the WDF and seniors tours pan out. If I'm in the if I'm in the WDF World Championships, I can't see me doing Q school.
0: During the, the lockdowns and stuff, 2020, 2021, were you someone that, you know, put the darts in the cupboard for a little bit, or did you kind of find it a passion for the online games?
1: No, I, uh, I built myself a bar in my me, in me garden. Uh, built myself a bar with a dart board, a good dart set-up, and, and I played as many online darts things as I could. I played absolutely loads. I think I did something like 40-odd nights on it in a row at one time. It oh. was absolutely, I, I was playing more darts in lockdown but I, you know, than I, I played when I, when I was supposed to be serious.
0: And I mean, how important is having a, a good set-up at home for even just practising, but you know, online competitions as well?
1: I never ever used to practise at all, ever. I just used to go out to the pub and play in Local leagues. I never even had a dartboard at home. Um, since I put a dartboard up at home, I do at least one hour every day now. I would say to any young, any young aspiring player, stick a dartboard up at home and just I just pound it at least an hour, two hours every day, and then the rewards will come.
0: Something I should probably take heed of as well. Um, you get
1: out what you put in.
0: I spoke to you know Martin Turner earlier in the year. a Really enjoyable chat with Martin. He was saying that you know last year he kind of had to convince you to, to do the, the World Seniors events, but you know you've played really well in them. Got to a couple of finals in the, the Open Series events. How have you found the Seniors set up this year? It's been, I can
1: remember Martin saying, have you, was, I can't remember where we where." He says, "Have you entered the seniors?" I said, "No, have I? Uh, why?" Oh, it'll be all right. So said, oh, I'm not interested in that. Um, I said, well, you're old enough. I said, yeah, well, I know I am. And I said, have you entered? He, he says, yeah. So I said, all right, never mind. Uh, if you have entered, I'll, I'll keep your company and I'll enter it. So I just thought, I'll get a go and see what it's like. Um, to be fair, I have quite enjoyed it. It's been all right. Now, whether I do the tour next year, it just depends on how many TV spots they allocate to the Order of Merit. Mm. I think I'm fifth on the Order of Merit at the minute. Martin might, might be third or fourth. But if they're only going to give one TV spot to the top of the Order of Merit, then I ain't going to go charging the length and breadth of the country playing seniors for for one spot who finishes top. I'll, just, I'll still do it, but I'll just turn up at the... T V qualifiers hmm. and not and not be running up and down the country for an order of merit that only allocates one spot. So it all depends whether I do it next year depends on what they do with the amount of qualifiers.
0: I mean you would hope it would be more, certainly for the, the world championship, with that being thirty two players now, not twenty four. But I know that is, you know, a frustration a few players have had this year as well.
1: Yeah, well, I can understand why they're doing it. They want, they want the TV, they want the sponsors, they want the crowd, they want the big names. But if they're just going to give one place to a tour, then I'm not going to be
0: on that tour. Going around on the, the tour, obviously, you used to go around with Dennis, uh, you know, doing it now with Martin as well. Is it nice to just have someone to kind of bounce off when you're not playing?
1: It is. It is, yeah. That's a, that's a big part of it. I mean, when I first started doing the p b c tour, even Dennis was on the he was on the brink of giving it up because he was travelling on his own and staying on his own. And then when I started going with him and Mark Lawrence started going with him, you get a, a camaraderie, and you know you, you travel together, you hotel together, you go out for a meal together, you have a beer together, you support each other while you while you're playing, and if I was going to all these events just on my own and staying in an hotel room on my own and travelling up and down on my own and sat at a table on my own I'd... What's the enjoyment in
0: that? Doing the, the WDF tour wasn't something you'd really done before you played a few events last year but this year obviously you and Martin have given it a really good go how have you found going round to the various different countries and the different opens and just playing in those sort of events for the first time really? It's been a bit wasn't planned at all. It just sort of happened.
1: Me and Martin went to a tournament, and then there was no set plan. We'll go to this, 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 and this, and do this tour. We just went to a tournament and I said, "Oh, oh, that was all right." I in. I will do it next one, and then you know we did, we did another one. And I thought, "Well, I'm quite enjoying this." But uh, even though you know the prize money's not great, it's not great, and it is an expensive tour. You know, you got flights and hotels and, and I've, I have no sponsors. Martin has no sponsors. We pay for everything ourselves. So, if, you know, if I, mean, if I fancy a different set of darts or a different length of stem or a different shape of flight, I have to go online and buy it. Martin has to do the same or catch it off another player. So, when you put together all the equipment you're buying and Flights and hotels and trains and taxis—it becomes an expensive
0: hobby, you know. Oh, for sure, absolutely. Despite that, you know, you have had success this year. You got to the final at the the Denmark Open. It, you know, it wasn't a win, but getting to the final of a gold event must have been a confidence booster for you. Yeah, but to
1: be fair, I've not even played well yet. To where I am now. I don't feel like I've played well yet I know for a fact when I, when I click I will win one of
0: these events very soon You have got to another final this year as well. You got to the England Open final but I know conditions that weekend in uh, Breen Sands were a little bit challenging for, for the players. Did they affect you?
1: Did they affect me? Uh, it's the same for everybody so, you know, Skills on that. But what did affect me were when I won my semi-final, quarter-final, semi-final, I was playing absolutely superb. I was in the group, absolutely, I was playing really well, full of confidence, won the semi-final, and they said, right, the final will be played in four hours' time in, a, in, a, in another room. That's to go back to us, shall we, chill out, I had something to eat, got a shower, started all over again. And when I got back four hours later and played the final, I was absolutely, totally flat. So, I mean, that's what it is. And that, that's something I've got to learn hmm. how to deal with.
0: And recently I saw you, you got a run out in the uh, the Online Darts Live League. How did you find that experience? Yeah,
1: well, yeah, that was 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 a bit of, bit of a disaster, that. Um, I'll not go into it, but I ended up in an hotel an hour away from the venue. The guy in the shuttle bus, he picked me up at 6.30 in the morning. We spent, I had to be up at 5.30, get myself showered, shaved, get ready, a bit of breakfast, get picked up at 6.30, get to the venue for 7.30, start playing at 9.30. And I, I did all right the first day. I was quite comfortable and I was second in the group. And then it took me back an hour to the, back to my hotel, which was a Ibis budget, no air conditioning, one of the hottest days of the year. And from getting back to the hotel about, back about four o'clock in the afternoon, I never, I did not sleep one wink till I got picked up again 6:30 the next morning. I just felt absolutely drained, absolutely knackered, and and then at 9:30 I had to start and, and try and perform the dance again. and I was absolutely out on my feet. It was a bit of a, a bit of a di- disaster, but if they ask me back, I'm sure it'll be a, a different story. I'll, I'll get everything right. Now I know what it's about as well, and I'll pair properly and I'll. I'll be
0: right next time. And you've got the, the Swedish Open weekend coming up this weekend, what else have you got lined up for, for the rest of this year in terms of tournament? Obviously we've got
1: the uh, Sweden Open this weekend, we've set off to the airport at 5.30 tomorrow morning and then play me and Martin Turner play the pairs tomorrow night. And then I think I'm doing the British Open at Bridlington. And then I'll go down to the England Open at Ilfracombe and I'm going to play the Pentathlon that week as well. So that should be interesting because I've got absolutely no idea what that entails. Um, I think in October, it's the last weekend of the seniors tour, that's in Manchester. Uh, If I'm not in the World Championships for the seniors, we've got the World Seniors Qualifiers in November think then that should be it for the year unless there's a World
0: Masters in Holland in December but I've not seen any information on that to be fair yes I, I think they need, they need to pull the finger out on that one qualification for the, the WDF World Championship is now a you know a main aim and something you're pretty much assured of a place now is the goal for you now to, to try and get a seeded place for, for whenever that tournament is next year um, it's, it's, it's just to
1: qualify for it but you know Everybody knows Lakeside, and it's a, you know it's a big part of the history of darts. Whether I'm seeded or not, I don't really care, but I'll, I'll try and be seeded. I've no plans to enter any other tournaments than the ones I've just mentioned. I think that that'll be too. Got quite a few tournaments to go at and pick some points up. Um, if I'm close to being seeded after those, and there's a couple of events that. Just a few points will get me a and I, I I may book another, you know, something like Malta or Hungary or Afghanistan or, or wherever. <laughs> if, it, if, it, if it can get me a cedar position, I just might consider it. So I'll, I'll ring Martin up and say, Back your suitcase, okay, so we're off again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And uh, just one last thing from me, I know in the the past you've come out to the, the Chemical Brothers uh, "Hey Boy, Hey Girl" as your walk but I'm pretty sure I saw uh, earlier in the year that you said you were going to come out to a White Snake number. Is that right?
1: No, that's Martin came out to White. Like, I think it was we we uh, Denmark, I think. Martin came out to White Snake in Denmark, and it sounded brilliant, and all the crowd were loving it. So um, just, I just said to Martin, "I'm loving that."
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if you were going to be uh, braver than him and come out to the last of the summer wine theme tune. no that's,
1: that's Martin's thing and I'll leave, I don't want all to do with that last of the summer wine rubbish that's <laughs> Martin's thing How am coming, coming out to the Chemical
0: Brothers Superstar DJ <laughs> brilliant uh, well thank you very much for your time tonight Darren I really appreciate it I wish you the, the best of luck for Sweden and, and a successful rest of the year as well yeah thanks Andrew I really enjoyed talking to Darren he's been playing well this year in terms of results of course the the finals at the Denmark Open and the England Open and he's been consistently picking up points at the events he's been to so I personally found it quite interesting to hear him say that he hasn't played that well in his opinion this year and he really wants to step it up uh, heading into the, the world championships next year and I have to say, I certainly enjoyed with the, the boxing on at the weekend. I did enjoy the DJ AJ line as well. One thing Darren mentioned in the interview, though, that I wanted to talk about was that there's been no real information about the World Masters in December. And that's something that's come up in a lot of conversations I've had on the podcast recently with people, but also just privately as well. The executives within the, the WDF think you're your Richard Ashdowns, you Nick Rolls. They've developed a reputation of not announcing things or not making announcements until everything that would be incorporated in those announcements is sure and signed off. You know, all the the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Richard and Nick have said that on the show before. You know, they've made allusions to the fact that they don't like other organisations teasing future announcements with announcements, you know. And I I get that. I totally get not wanting to make false promises because of the reputation the BDO had for that. But we're less than four months away from the World Masters now. And if the World Championships is in January, you've got basically four whole months from the start of September. And, you know, in terms of the World Masters, the last official update on that was last year when the 2021 edition got cancelled. This year there's been no confirmation of the schedule of the tournament, the invitee list, if there's going to be TV coverage, what that TV coverage is going to look like, whether it's even still on on the dates that are listed on the website and whether it will still be in the venue de Bonteveva in Assen. Now, I'm working on the assumption that it's going to be in Assen. It's going to be that 8th to the 12th window in December, but they've not confirmed that anywhere and the players need to know. The federations can't cover the cost of the players that have qualified because it's going to be a large number. Not only have you got a longer than normal qualifying period because of the pandemic, but every nation within the WDF system gets allocated places based on their size and you know level of membership within the, the organisation. So you think certain countries are going to have 20, 30 players going across to the, the World Masters federations can't help everyone and, you know, they won't be able to pick and choose who they do help. So all of that is going to have to be self-funded by the players, whether that comes through sponsorship or whatever. They're going to have to raise that money themselves. And it's going to cost a lot to come over to ASIN, particularly for those who are coming from New Zealand or Australia or Canada or the USA or the Asian countries. They need time to raise the money, get good deals on their flights and their accommodation and So do all of that, they need confidence that the tournament is going to take place, what the prize money is going to look like, what the TV is going to look like, and they need clarification well ahead of time. Now, Nick and Richard said when they had been on the show before that the money for the World Masters was all confirmed, was all locked in a safe somewhere. Well, you presume that money is still intact, ready for this tournament, but again, I don't understand why it's been radio silence on the Majors. Now, perhaps players are getting information behind the scenes that publicly isn't known about, but from conversations I've had, that certainly doesn't seem to be the case. Now, you know, knowing my luck, they'll probably have confirmed the World Masters and the World Championship by the time this goes out, and I'm just squawking into the void. But they really do need to to pull their finger out, a favourite expression of mine. And it's a similar issue with the, the World Championships, the World Masters is, in many respects, more pressing because it's sooner, but the World Championship is your flagship event. And I think there is more up in the air about the World Championships than there is at the World Masters. The Masters, obviously, there is a, a set of dates, there is a venue, all listed out and, and whatever. The World Championships, we don't know where it's going to be or when it's going to be. And sadly, that the world we live in now, the less information there is in the public domain the more you're going to get speculation mongers and rumour mills going. And then that then causes more issues for the organisation. And I think that the issue of the date with the World Championship is interesting because as far as I'm concerned, it has to be before Q School. You had the issues last year, of course, with COVID and the fear that it would have to be behind closed doors. But that's not necessarily going to be a problem in 2023. Players have been working on the basis that the tournament will be in January in that traditional slot, and it will be at Lakeside. Now, I think it should be in that slot, You know, regardless of of where the venue is, it should be in that slot, because if it's February or March or April, I feel that you are undermining the efforts of the players who have chased that tour all year with the basis that they're going to chase the tour, qualify for the Worlds, play in it, and then regardless of how they get on, go to Q-School at the end. Now, if you put that World Championship in February, perhaps it's in conjunction with the Dutch Open, or maybe it's back in April that first week because that doesn't clash with anything else, then what about those players that have chased the tour all year, have got into a qualification place, and then go to Q-School? And then perhaps the PDC don't grant exemptions, and then they can't play that presumably you know, undermines the money and time they've invested in your tour and, and burns bridges for players in the future. I personally have no problem with the tournament being in a different time to, to January. I think having the World Masters and the World Championship barely a month apart seems very strange. I think maybe having them one in the middle of the year and one at the end, I think probably that makes more sense. But you need to announce that ahead of time, you know, if, if your World Championship is January and then the following year it's going to be, say, February, you kind of need to announce that at the time so that for the following year's tour, everyone participating in it knows what they're working towards and knows what they're playing for. Um, anyway, that's that run over. So I want to quickly, before the end of the show, look ahead to this coming weekend and there's only one event. That's the Murray Bridge Classic in South Australia. Of course, we're not long off the back of the Platinum-Graded Australian Open, the Silver-Graded Pacific Masters, and I do wonder if if there'll be much travelling this weekend for a single bronze event. There's a double-header in Tasmania the following weekend, so perhaps that's better for for points, but there again, travelling to Tassie might be a bit more difficult. I'm not 100% sure on, on how that one all works. I have got one eye on the Tasmanian competitions because I've seen that Corey Cadby's been playing some really good stuff recently, so it would be very interesting to see if he's in those events, because if he is, and he's playing anywhere near his best, you'd fancy him to to pick up a tournament victory, and if he does, that would then put a Corey Cadby in the World Masters. Would he come over? Can he come over? It'll be very interesting to see, that's for sure. Uh, but this weekend's tournament, the, the Murray Bridge Classic, uh, it's in South Australia. South Australia's a very strong darting state, and I think the event should be a good one. I think it's on Dark Connect. I seem to think I read that somewhere. Uh, in terms of potential winners, Peter Machin is having a very good year. And I would suspect he wins again. Uh, but if it's not him, I, I would have thought it would be Aaron Morrison, who is very good combination finisher and is usually there or thereabouts in these kind of events. Or Scott Hallett, who, who really broke out of the Australian Open, had a fantastic weekend. And uh, I think if he plays a similar standard to that, he would push Machin or Morrison very, very close. In terms of the ladies, Kim Mitchell is, is South Australia's strongest player. She's someone I've spoken about in very glowing terms already this year, and I think she would probably come out on top unless uh, you get Tori Qish travelling. But even then, I, I think Kim pushed Tori very close this year, so it's not a foregone conclusion as it might have been a couple of years ago, where Tori just won everything. Uh, she'd probably still be favorite but I think Kim would push her hard but that's all for for this week I look forward to following that event that's all for this week big thank you to Darren for his time and to you for listening your support is always greatly appreciated I'll be back in two weeks time for episode 104 but in the meantime you can follow me on Twitter at am Sinclair 97 you can follow the podcast at inside the Wf. You can like the Facebook page Inside the WDF and you can rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see you on the other side.